Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. This show is a presentation of horror, thriller, and suspense, and is intended for mature audience. Join us at your own risk. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Grim and Bloody Podcast. Tonight we are bringing you another retrospective. Well, last week we talked about new movies and old movies. Tonight we're talking about one movie, and that is the 1976 The Omen, uh, directed by Richard Donner, off of a script by David Seltzer, uh, who uh, remained involved in the franchise here and there uh, throughout its end. Um, this movie starred Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, David Warner, and Billy Whitelaw. Um, music by the one and only Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, its budget was $2.8 million, which was pretty dang good back in 1976. That's a solid budget. Um, and it, it, it raked it in uh, with a box office of $60 million. So you put two quarters in, you get 60 back. I call that profitable. And it spawned a franchise. Uh, that stretched all the way to basically 2016 in TV form. Um, but I think we can probably agree, uh, Joe and Al, that The Omen, the, the original, was probably the definitive uh, iteration of this franchise. Akin to, I would say, Hellraiser, where you have the first movie is the best, and they keep you know going to the well again and again and again. And yeah, it comes back with uh, diminishing returns. Although I did like the remake, uh, you know, albeit it was a direct remake uh, in 2006. Um, it was at least good to see it in a more higher definition. Um, but then again, it, it didn't have Gregory Peck. It didn't have Jerry Goldsmith. Um, so it was, you know, although Marco Beltrami was pretty good. He he's serviceable for horror movies. He, he name his name pops up a lot um, because he can he can put down some pretty good Discord and sonically. Um, it wasn't Jerry Goldsmith who uh, that was his. What was it? It was his first uh, Oscar or Grammy. I forgot. Joe. It was Oscar that, that was his, he actually. Oscar. Yeah, it was the Oscars for the uh, theme for the music of the Omen. Hello. What? Oh, I got to watch out for flying glass. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no pictures here. Um, no. I rewatched The Omen today, and um, while it's not overly creepy, the way that they had to process pictures back then, when a photographer took it and he had to hang it in a special room, right, and put it in a special... No, they film. Room. Yes, that was called film back in the day. Yeah. 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 Isn't that <laughs> a lot of itself? That. Right? Just... Here's the photographer. He's probably just going about his job, but the way he's hanging up pictures, right? Nowadays, he's like, if someone's doing that, we're calling <laughs> uh, the feds because this guy is up to no good if anyone is processing pictures nowadays like that. Uh, back then, that was normal, right? It was like, right. This, this is how we do pictures. Uh, back, no, nowadays, it's home. like, okay, let's call the people in the white coats because that's not how we do pictures. That part stood out with me. I'm like, whoa, that looks weird. I for for a while because it, it was a good minute since I had watched the Omen. Um, I thought the photographer 
was uh, involved with the uh, satanic worshipers, the the people who wanted uh, Damien, who is the uh, child born uh, and was representing the second coming of uh, Satan. Uh, I thought the photographer was involved for a while. Um, whether that was intentional or not by the director's hand, um, it felt intentional because as you're watching it, um, it feels like this guy is is stalking him, right? He's taking pictures, taking pictures of the priest's back, right? And turn around, I want to take your picture from a distance, right? Um, stalking Gregory Peck's movements. Um, that yeah, was a really remember. nice sleight of hand. Rewatching it, I caught that um, that sleight of hand. You know, uh, the photographer played by David Warner, the one and only. Um, yes, excellent. excellent, excellent actor. Um, that was a really nice sleight of hand by the by the director. Um, kind of leaves you guessing who or who is not involved. What do you guys think overall, though? Mulman, nineteen seventy six. Does it deserve to be on the pantheon of the greatest horror movies of all time? Well, it's, it's an interesting flick. Um, it is, uh, for me, I might call it the least horrific movie ever. I, I think it's a good scary movie, per se. But the, mo the movie isn't scary for the gore. It, it's not scary for a lot of reasons. You understand it's us against the child. And, of course, we're going to win. And you... They, they leave that to a question to the very end. So I, I think that was the part that really started to, to annoy, I should say annoy people, uh, uh, unnerve people uh, that, you know, innocence could be perverted in such a way. And yes, Gregory Peck and Lee Remick, excellent casting for the two parts. Of course, Lee Remick did a lot of this kind of role, and Gregory Peck was just a heck of a handsome man back in the day. Oh, he was right at the end, actually. So, it's not, it's not, when you talk about horror movies, it's not scary. It's more of an existential dread, more like you would get with uh, a Lovecraft, at least for me. Yeah. And no, it, yeah, it, it is one of those films that isn't really a horror film, but it is a, with horror theme, but it was also more like a thriller and stuff like that. And you have, as Al was talking about, Louis Rummick and Gregory Peck, you know, they were so good in this film that yes. you kind of like feel bad for them, you know. And then you had David Warner playing the photographer who's like, skirking around and then there's the priest telling hey this kid is the antichrist uh, you might want to try to you know take care of him before us instead of you know letting him live but you know that that was the thing and as we all well, know how this film ends which we're not I'm not going to give away anyways but you can tell because they had so many other sequels. Uh, but again, that movie is well made, well put together. The score by Jerry Goldsmith was fantastic. Oh, watch out for those Rottweilers. They're they're pretty terrifying. Um, but yeah, and by the way, it took David, uh, the writer, 
a year to write the script for the story of this. And then, again, I'll talk about how well the movie did. The movie made $60 million in the U.S. box office, becoming one of the highest grossing films of 1976. Tell you how long ago that was. Wow. But, yeah. I can't help but think about you know, Richard Donner and his other works, like the Banana Splits Power Hour and Danger Island, and then we get this out of it. Oh, yeah. The good old days. Back <laughs> You know, innocent, but yeah. And, and as I said, yeah, they're like, originally they were going to try to cast like William Holden. Uh, they were looking at other actors to play uh, the Robert Thorne's character. But Gregory Peck read the script, liked it. Uh, he was just a little nervous about, you know, hey, I don't want it to be too bloody, you know, and that's why some of the other actors declined the film because they thought, oh, it's going to be a gory horror film. No, don't want to do it. Sorry. We well, can't you have know. a gory horror movie with Patrick Troutman. I mean, the third, uh, the second Doctor. Very true. Yeah, because he knew the kid. He knew the kid's going to be evil. I like, you know, this is what started the whole six six thing. Six thing, which always reminded me of an old girlfriend. I. Shaved her head one night and said six six five, so I knew she was almost the Antichrist. Uh, but enough of that relationship. Uh, this this was a fun, interesting movie because it wasn't the horror movie that everyone thought it should be. You're right that you know people thought it was going to be gory or something, and it really, really wasn't. And it suffered like Soylent Green did in that you knew what the ending had to be, and the sequels again you knew what the endings had to be. But, you know, uh, that kind of took the punch out of for people to watch. I did like that the little boy got to play the Omen in 2006. He was in the Omen 2006 as one of the reporters. So, and that's got to be the most uh, demonic uh, job you can ever have, from being paparazzi. Now, there, there was always a part that when I was watching it, and you guys, this movie came in uh, 1976. I think we're, we're we passed that uh, that timeline where we can give spoilers. <laughs> we could talk about the ending. Right. This okay. movie is literally free on YouTube. Okay. Um, Ouch! I'm surprised. The part that always it confused me the first time I watched it and the second time. Um, I was watching a little bit closer just so I can kind of glean details. I really wanted to immerse into this movie because it is hailed, yes. even though it it's probably more of a thriller. Uh, when you hear the omen, right? You hear the music, like oh, it's scary, right? Um, the omen soundtrack, I mean, it, it is frightening. Um, so for atmosphere, I, I think it definitely earns its horror uh, title. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about is the very beginning, where uh, Gregory Peck's Robert Thorne uh, is in the hospital maternity ward. Uh, you know, mother, his wife just gave birth. Uh, the baby uh, died. But they gave him another one saying, you know what? This might even look like him, you know? Um, that was done by Father Spoleto, who persuades Robert to secretly adopt the baby. And later on, they find him, um, and he uh, is badly burned. We find out that everyone involved is either dead, the hospital burned to the ground, which 
kind of felt a little convenient. Um, but I want to know um, the people involved. Um, what happened to them? Like, um, what were what cult were they a part of, or does it even matter? You know, um, the guy who lived, right? Um, did he feel guilt and and showed him where the 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 burial sites were? I, yes, that's yes, part of a little bit. Like, um, he, he could have said anything. He's the Antichrist. You can kill him. He points him to the the graveyard where they're buried. Like maybe a discovery. Um. But I wanted to know more about the uh, the cult that helped Damien become Damien. Like, was Gregory Peck's character targeted? Because you do mention, um, the priest mentions, he, when you die, Damien is going to inherit your estate, right? Um, yep. he, he's going to immediately have power. And I want to know, well, how was Gregory Peck targeted? You know, where did that come about? So I could have almost gone for a prequel to the omen and love everyone loves prequel i could have gone for a prequel where you have this this uh silent society that is they know uh damien's gonna be born soon um and they're looking for the perfect family in which they can target uh assimilate you know damien gets into the family then they can infiltrate with you know the protector the mother the dogs what have you um and then Damien can inherit and immediately have a jumping off point. I wanted to know more about that. And that part wasn't explained enough for me. What what, what about you two? Well I, I, go ahead. Well, well, oh no, I would I would say I, I would say I agree with you. And you know, and as you said, if Robert should die. Guess who gets all of his, you know, titles and all that nice stuff? Would be little Damien. Ah, uh, Damien, Damien, you bad kid, you. But go ahead, Al. I was gonna say I thought. Now I hadn't seen all of the movies, at least not any time recently. But I thought they went into a little bit more of the backstory on some of them. But of course, now if you want to talk about the money, uh, you know. Gregory Peck is, of course, very rich, and my take on the ending is, is that his old roommate, college roommate, the president, is now going to adopt the son. Which, of course, if, if you're if you're powerful and rich to start with, and then you get adopted by the president, you're that much more. So, but getting it, well, it's like marrying into the Kennedys. <laughs> yeah, basically, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah, so I was thinking more like Arnold, but you know how well they work for him. Yeah, uh, it, so yeah, and as I was saying, it's like it turns out, hey, guess what? In the sequel, uh, it's Robert's brother, played by William Holden, who was also offered the role as Robert, but turned it down or didn't get it. So they cast him as Gregory Peck's brother in the sequel. So, boom, you know. Oh, hey, another thorn to take out. That's always good to have family. Yeah, the so, sequel completely fell off for me. Um, it, it, that had no merit for me. It, when I, I remember seeing that, and I'm like, this, I was excited because I, I missed, uh, obviously, I missed uh, The Omen in theaters. Um, so, when The Omen 2 came out, I'm like, hey, I get to actually see The Omen, right? Um, 
And it was like, well, what, what the hell is this? Um, it, it was just weird. I came out in 78. I saw it probably in 85, maybe 86. Yeah. I was six years old. Um, well, actually, it came out, yeah, came out in 78. Um, that was probably one of the first movies that I saw um, on a Saturday, $6 theater in Redwood City with my parents. Um, and it was a big deal because the first one, that's why I remember it. Um, it was this, when it was a, a secondhand theater, if you guys are interested, uh, where after the major uh, theatrical runs, um, smaller theaters would pick it up and run it for a little bit longer or kind of uh, have like old re-releases. Um, so we got to re we got to watch it in theaters and it was it was a cool experience. Um, but yeah, I was like, it was just boring. Uh, I rewatched it um, in my twenties and it was the same thing. Um, so I've always watched and rewatched these movies. I even saw the one um, I think it was part three that starred um, Sam Neill, who go on to play uh, the titular character in Jurassic Park. I thought Neil was good in three, but then again, the, the story, uh, it, it was just guys in suits running around. It was almost like Wall Street. Um, so this, for me, the franchise kind of fell off the rails. Um, it became disinteresting. Um, I haven't even looked at the TV show, haven't even bothered. Um, but I always hold the omen in high regard just because of the, the patience and developing the tension. Uh, especially, uh, I think a good example was the car ride where it first starts with the uh, the sitter who basically just shows up out of nowhere and uh, weasels her way into uh, Damien's care. Um, she is uh, refusing to let Damien go with parents to, to church. And the mother puts a foot down and says he's going to go. Um, and on the car ride, uh, I thought um, the the child actor played it beautifully. There was so much time spent just on him gauging his reaction that when they finally reached the church, he explodes and it's like it was like watching a pot slowly boil over. You know, um, I, I that's that's my kind of tension where it starts from basically zero, and before you know it, um, you're at a hundred and you, you're freaking out. Um, it, that whole scene was perfect, and that was that was one of many scenes in this movie where, um, if you're patient enough, um, there was a very good payoff at the end. Yeah, and by the way, going back to the original Omen here, uh, Richard Donner wanted it to be an end. Uh, you know, like, is it Damien's fault or is it just coincidence? that everything's going on but the Harvey, that's a good part uh, i think that's another yeah. thing the director left it up to interpretation like are things happening because of damien or the other way around just, like uh right they're just happening and damien just it happens to be there um and that when i say you know, this movie definitely deserves a prequel that's what i was talking about like i want to know more about the forces that were happening like for example, the uh, priest who warns Gregory Peck, uh, your wife is pregnant. Um, she's in danger. And um, you know, I mean, you're, we're going to see each other in hell. And and then that that um, 
I thought it was very impressive display of um, whether well, it was probably obviously practical effects. Um, the the storm that suddenly swept in, right, and uh, forced the uh, priest to the church, and, and then he meets them time to the end. Um, oh, yes. I thought that scene was very good. Oh yes, um, that was one of those that again, it's if you have the patience to sit through, it just starts with a simple chit chat, a couple rustle of the leaves, and at the end, it's just like bonkers crazy right another scene where if you have the patience to sit there uh and, and just immerse in it um you know the payoff at that scene is is uh again well worth it all right kevin thank you for joining us um you can jump right in i know this is um one of your top films um i'll give you the floor kevin tell us about uh what you think about the omen in a nutshell well, I think in, in a nutshell, it's one of the greatest horror films ever made, and possibly one of the best films ever, uh, you know, ever made. Uh, it's it's a situation where everything comes together, uh, you know, gloriously from the director to the cast to the budget to the uh, to the score. Everything just works, and it works, you know, magnificently. I think Richard Donner's direction of playing down that this is a horror film about a curse or uh you know or anything supernatural and playing up the fact that it is or that it is some idea of a of murders happening by uh you know coincidence or happenstance uh as he puts it you know just the you know the literal definition of the omen uh I think is really helps to shape the uh, uh, you know it helps to enhance the power of the film. I uh, I think the cast terrific. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, uh, never better. Uh, David Warner, uh, who I've you know had. Uh, I'm still working on uh, David Warner's book. In fact, the book title is going to be Keeping His Head: The Films of David Warner. So for people who are, uh, you know, who are, you know, thinking, you know, this was, this was a big film for, uh, for Warner and for his, uh, his fans. And he has a most memorable death, <laughs> Yes, but it's a film that works for me. It's a film that's spooky. I happen to think that the, uh, the sequence in the, uh, in the graveyard, uh, at night where Peck and, uh, Warner find, the true body of his uh, of his infant son, and uh, you know, find out the uh, the truth about Damien, so to speak, um, and the whole chase with the uh, uh, with the uh, the Rottweilers is uh, spooky as all get out. Yeah, yeah I, I can see that dog fight um, yeah. Yeah. as something that if children watch, that might give them uh, <laughs> a, a, a little pause. Bit. You know, right. the same effect that Cujo had, especially on me. Like, I didn't want a dog for the longest after watching Cujo. You can imagine, um, you know, a similar reaction to seeing those. Like, it was a vicious scene. You know, they, they go after him. Um, well, and, and Richard Donner's not afraid to have, I mean, to me, the creepiest, maybe one of the creepiest moments ever in film is the uh, the hanging at the birthday party. A child's birthday party, and a nanny hangs herself in front of everyone. And Richard Donner is not afraid to show it. 
right there, you know, happening. I thought that was the creepiest, a creepy moment. And I think that's a moment that probably would disturb kids to this day. Yeah. It's all for <laughs> you, Damien. All for right. you. Right. For me, but, watching, uh, it, that, yeah. me watching it, though, that, that scene, it's a good scene. Mm -hmm. But the, what happens immediately after sort of pales for me because uh, I'm watching these rich, powerful people that are used to giving commands. And everyone just stands there. Mm -hmm. It's uh, all shock, really. It's yes, all I do that, but yeah, these are yeah. the type of people that don't stand there when something happens. And right. So that's where it, it sort of didn't ring true for me. I mean, the early on in the movie, they're walking by the river, uh, talking about his old college roommate. Neither right. one of them have the hand of the toddler who wanders off and could have drowned. That could have been the end of the movie right there. <laughs> and and what parent does that? Because I don't know of any parent that does that. So that was just weird to me. Right. So. And and I thought now I I find that the film is not without some minor uh, some minor flaws. Uh, I I, I, I still. I, take, I don't know if I take a flaw because you know that's the whole thing. As you said, he wants everyone held in that moment of shock and awe. What what I was talking about was a different moment in the uh, in the film. I was uh, I was thinking that the uh, the ending of the film uh, it really doesn't bear, uh, bear too close a scrutiny for common sense, uh, you know, purposes because I I keep thinking that why is uh, Robert the pet character racing? to the uh uh you know to the church um it, to me it's only for dramatic effect and it gives a contrivance uh for him to as he breaks through the uh uh the uh, the guard gate uh for the police to all of a sudden you know start a chase and catch on to him and and kill him i'm thinking okay really the common sense uh, i'm thinking why wouldn't he's looking he's going to kill uh, this kid and he's looking to uh, to do it without much fanfare why not just casually drive up to the you know to, to the gate tell the guards i'm uh hey i'm, I'm taking my son out to uh you know to see something or do something to a, you know to a movie or something like this i'm doing something you know with him get past the gate and so he would have he'd go to the church and he'd have no problem no interference in killing the kid. Well, that's where the rest of the film comes into play. As I, I was talking about uh, yeah. scenes that start from zero and end in a hundred, and uh -huh. you know, the the slow boil effect. Um, sure. The whole movie is that way. So there is a lot of that in that. It, the entire movie is starts from idyllic circumstances where okay, I adopted a child, but hey, I'm the new ambassador. Right, life is good. Um, this Gregory Peck plays the even keel, you know, I'm asking questions. I want to know more, uh, the end that, that the end is the culmination of every, every tragedy that has been fallen him. Um, and it's over a span of time. Didn't happen overnight. Um, the child grows, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, wife becomes pregnant. He loses his, his uh, basically Everyone in the house, the housekeepers, uh, he loses um, 
his wife. He loses his unborn child. Um, if I had to go through all of that while discovering that the son that I adopted uh, is the son of Satan, I mean, I'd be going 100 miles an hour to that church, right? Sure. I wouldn't be going the sure. speed limit. I go, after going through all that, that's what made it believable for me. Um, and, of course, they needed an ending. Um, you know, this movie probably came out at a time where they weren't already thinking of, uh, we did one movie, this is going to be a franchise, right? We're going to come out with toys, T-shirts, uh, we're going to be pounding them. This was more of, I got a good idea for a movie, right? Yeah, um, I want to see the little nice lineup sound of the toy kit for the children, you know? <laughs> this movie sure. has a beginning and a definitive end. Uh, they leave it a little open-ended, but they also describe what will happen once he dies. Uh, Damien will inherit his his uh, his empire, uh, so to speak. Um, but sure. I, I can totally understand Gregory Peck's that, that final scene, the final shot of him, uh, that crazed look on his face, you know, with the, the weapon in his hand, about to kill his son. That was a culmination of everything. So if they didn't right. take the time to build to that, I can see it being contrived. I really could, but it, it felt like they they did enough legwork to, to warrant it, in my opinion. I just I suppose I just I just thought that I thought the contrivances could have been a little bit more subtle, a little bit more, you know, deftly handled. And and you wonder all this stuff that's happened, uh, all this, uh, you know, this this death that this child has caused and this whole thing, the rage that that Peck is going through. Uh, why is he bothered when his son says, Daddy? at the uh, uh at the end says daddy don't i feel that was a last ditch effort I, I thought that that was damien realizing really who he is and what power he can possibly have over i suppose i was seeing it as kind of a as kind of a, a pause have to wait for the cops to come in <laughs> but anyway. it's sort of like i look at it as like him trying to play i'm super innocent yeah, I'm a, I'm a boy, yeah. sure. you know, but because he's the Antichrist, okay. you know, and as Kevin was saying, yeah, here comes the cops, so get get it, shoot poor uh, Robert Thorne here, you know? I mean, there's right. a moment of self-awareness very early in the movie that I just caught in this rewatch where the new house uh, sitter comes in, she, goes, she makes her way into danger, he's like, I'm here to protect you in a way that you feel like he's going to be protected against everyone else. And he's on the floor, he looks at her, and the slow smile appears on his face. Um, right then and there, uh, I had the idea that uh, the director wants us to know that Damien is self-aware at this point in his life. He's no longer babies. Right. Uh, he's probably maybe four or five. He's about the same age as uh, uh, Adrian right now. He's self-aware. He, he has an idea of who he is at that point. Maybe it comes and goes because there's points where he's just playing, right? And um, the scene with the the tricycle, the famous scene, he's just spinning it around, around, around. It's the house sitter that unleashes it because she she has this kind of premonition that something's going to happen if she lets him go. Um, now, see, I see that scene very differently, though. Okay. We we were, we were talking about, you know, when when does uh, is is this stuff that's just happening around him? Is it a curse, you know, or what? And as I see it. He wasn't innocent till the dog shows up at the at party. 
That's when the first death occurs. That's when uh, Satan is declaring himself to Damien that it's all for you. And the whole thing about the uh, the tricycle incident, <clears throat> the, as I see it, the nanny is there influencing him, working through him, manipulating him to get to a fever pitch. And again, talking about the slow burn, but get into the fever pitch and then let him loose. The, the nanny knew what was going to happen, uh, manipulated it to happen, and Damien allowed it to continue because he's not really seeing the problem with it. And that's why you have that scene there where mom is holding on to the balcony, to the, uh, the uh, railing there, and he doesn't cry because he realizes that he can do these things and that they need to be done and they don't really bother him. And I think that's really what we're, uh, depending on how religious you want to get about all this, uh, that's sort of the difference uh, with, with Satan is, you know, uh, Satan is, uh, hell is where God is not, where there is no hope. And uh, having someone in charge that doesn't care about what happens to you uh, would be very bad. I think uh, you guys bring a, uh, you talk make a very good point about the slow build, the slow burn. Um, there's a there's a fair number of uh, sequences in the film that are so deft at that slow burn uh, that you just enjoy it that much more. The scene where the priest gets uh, gets killed, it starts out with a with just a, a slow walk and you know a storm, you know, coming at nothing. You know, nothing unusual, nothing like out of the ordinary. But then you start to see um, little things, you know, starting to happen. The uh, uh, the uh, the spear or the uh, getting or the spire getting away from the uh, breaking loose on the uh, uh, on the uh, on the on the fence. And well, even before that, when he gets to the church, yeah. and the doors are locked, showing yeah. that he is he is kept from his redemption and safety sure yes yeah and and donner along with uh gil taylor uh the photographer allow you to actually see the flight the full flight of this uh iron spike this iron uh you know spire as it's going through the air and you just know and you also see on patrick trotten's face as the priest the look of not just shock, but inevitable fate. Yes. And no shit. Yeah, it's oh, just yeah. like nothing you can do. He just stands there, uh, you know, basically. And then he goes that whole no, you know, like that. But it, it it's it's like you know, I don't know about you, but I'd make a movement to get out of the way or something like that. But you he is just die. kind of like paralyzed. It's it works so well. The casting on this is tremendous. Uh, I really thought, just special credit to Billy Whitelaw. Nobody could make a character more hissable of Mrs. Baylock as Billy Whitelaw. And you just love it when Gregory Peck fights her in the sequence uh, and gives it to her with the daggers that he has. Uh, You know, it's, uh, you want to, you just, you're wishing her dead throughout the film. And when she finally oh, she gets it, you're like ready to, 
That was, yes. that was rock solid the minute she shows up. And I, right. I, she was the guardian. She was, you know, again, I would have loved to know how these characters disappeared. You know, um, the prequel would have, I think it would have been great in this movie. But then again, we don't need it. Just kind of like mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby. We don't need the prequel. We just need to know what's happening now. Um, but yeah, her character, as soon as she came on, mm-hmm. she was bullish. Um, mm-hmm. She knew right where to go, what to say. Like it was practice. Like, you know, she spent a fair amount of time training for this, you know, mm-hmm. um, the patience and sub- not sub- um, submissiveness, but um, just the, um, uh, what do you want to call it? The the role of housekeeper or nanny that she put sure. on with Gregory Peck and the sure. mother, um, I thought it was it was an excellent range. Sure, it, sure. it was believable. Like, yeah, you know, this person infiltrated us, but they're smooth. You know, right. I can I can accept that she's here to take care of Damien. Um, can't accept that we have no idea where you came from, <laughs> uh, or how they you knew we needed a nanny. Uh, that might probably would have raised a red flag for me. Um, but she she played the role of the the nanny perfectly, uh, especially in the scene where um, where I thought, see, this is another one that the the director a little nod of uh, the self awareness, um, where he's playing with the uh, the pool table in the back and the mother's stressed and she just wants Damien out of the room, out of the study, and nanny comes in and they're escorting. She's escorting him out. Damien stops. And pointedly looks at her for a good few seconds, right? Just a dagger stare, and then walks away. That's another moment for me where I'm saying he's definitely self-aware. I mean, that's a death mm-hmm. stare. How many kids are going to give that kind of stare to their mother, right? Um, Damien did, and that's the second time that the director put the camera on him, where he that kid is looking awfully unchildlike, right? Like there, there's something going on there that kids that age it just it wouldn't be registering at that point quick question for all three all three of you uh the um the casting in uh in this the robert thorne part originally 